Hello, and welcome to You Should Watch This with Ed and Simon, the film podcast in which two friends explore a galaxy of neglected movie masterpieces. Each episode, one of the boys presents an overlooked film they love and tries to convince the other of its misunderstood genius. So this is You Should Watch This Podcast. I am Simon Fowler. I'm here with Ed Heim, and I'm going to pitch a movie to him today, which I think he's going to enjoy. Now, Ed, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but sometimes if I get a text message or an email from you and I see your name written down, Ed Heim, I then start singing in my head the UB40 track, Red, Red Wine, but with your name in it. So that's probably not important, but it is somewhat of a link. Not Red Wine, but Deep Red. Dario Argento's Giallo film from 1975. It is a, a strange film, but this is a deeply disturbing interesting twisted kind of thriller meets slasher film with elements of horror and a mystery wrapped in one little package it stars david hemmings who you probably remember from a film like blow up it's set in a sort of weird hybrid of turin and rome and then you see very notable pieces from either one and i think you're going to absolutely love it Okay. I'm, I'm actually scared at the idea of this film because I really like horror movies. I watch quite a lot of horror movies. I've never watched a Jallo, but the sort of closest I've come to watching one was watching Barbarian Sound Studio, the Peter Strickland film, in which Toby Jones does the sound effects to a Jallo. And it sounds absolutely horrible, the film he's working on. So that, that is my context for this. I mean, I'm, I'm anticipating something really unpleasant. Uh, so, yeah, bring it on. Okay, you've heard the pitch, so before Ed and Simon discuss it, now might be a good time to watch the movie if you haven't already. Links are available on youshouldwatchthis.com or you can listen on anyway, but be warned. As well as stuff like this... Open that box of scary toys again. (laughs) Hey, Lucio, where's that red paint? There will be a ton of spoilers. First ever Jallo, Deep Red, Dario Argento's Deep Red. What did you think of it? My God. Immersive. (laughs) (laughs) I really loved this film. I didn't didn't have much of an idea about what to expect going into it. But it's, it's so rich and sort of lurid and creepy and genuinely scary. And I don't really get scared that easy in films anymore. But there were bits where I was genuinely, genuinely scared. And it's so it's so odd as well. I think that's that's what's great about it. There's so many cookie cutter horror movies that are just cranked out. This is clearly something quite personal, quite weird, and dredged up from somewhere quite potent and interesting. Yeah, definitely. And I I think what's good to do is is sort of like try and define what a giallo is. So like normally people will either classify a giallo as a straight horror or slasher or mystery sort of thing, but it's really this odd. A mixture of them all which is its own thing so the, the term comes from a type of pulpy novel very popular in italy obviously this is an italian film right. um, shot in people with actors speaking in their own languages and then dubbed over the top in italian or english depending on how you watch it but these sort of yellow novels which would you know churned out 
were hugely, hugely popular and always had a sort of mystery element to them, always like a, a murderer on the loose or, or, you know, it could be a police genre or something like that. But generally it always came down to who was the killer? You know, they had some traumatic event in their childhood right. that caused them to be this way and went on to be a, a hugely popular genre of film, which Dario Argento worked in before this. Before making this film, he made three films called his Animal Trilogy, Four Flies on Grey Velvet, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage and Cat and Nine Tails. These are great titles. Oh my God, Jallo films have the best titles. Many, 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 many Italian films were made during this period, but if you get films like A Lizard in Woman's Skin or <laughs> Strip Nude for Your Killer, um, <laughs> these are absolutely ridiculous but uh, fantastic. And so in the late 60s, early 70s, people are making these films. And as I say, Dario Argento made these three, his animal trilogy, which are, which are good. They have so many of the elements you can tell he's just reused in this film, like the creepy kid's toy or... Um, you, you know things like that that he, he's reused but after making these three three films he was like I'm done with this now I don't want to make any more Jallo films right. and he actually made a um, historical comedy which names escapes me which absolutely bombed and he was like I need to make another big hit or I'm in trouble. Open that box of scary toys again. <laughs> <laughs> hey Lucio, where's that red paint? <laughs> And he came out with what has come to define this entire genre of films, which is a, an incredible mix of horror, uh, you know, a slasher film, this sort of POV style, the point of view of the killer. And yeah, it's, it's exactly as you say, it is actually really, really terrifying. I think a lot of which brings that in is the, is the sense of dread he, he, he creates with the way scenes are set. I don't know if you noticed, but like a lot of times people who are extras in the background almost look like mannequins or people sort of suspended in time, not really moving. Yeah. And, in, and when you look in the piazza, it's like the, I think it's Edward Hopper, uh, Nighthawk scene, mm -hmm. just looking out as if it's being acted out by people who are moving only very, very slightly. And it has this sort of eerie sense of everything's taking place in almost like a, like a fish tank. Yeah. All those scenes on the piazza are, 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 are fantastic. The world itself is interesting. Even before the killing starts, that guy where he's just hanging out in the square and the guy comes out and they're just talking. And yeah, the look of that diner, that incredible fountain. Yeah. It's already, it's already a really fascinating world. There's the creepy stuff at the seance earlier. Yeah. Um, well, I think the creepiness even begins in like, and I can't think of a film where the opening credits are starting, the, the music by the prog rock band. Oh, it, amazing, so good. Yeah. Goblin looked them up, absolutely incredible music for this film. They originally wanted Pink Floyd. Um, I think uh, Dario Argento flew to London to try and get them to be in it. There are so many films where they originally wanted Pink Floyd. There's so, there's so many movies with Pink Floyd scores that almost got made and didn't. Um, but, but during that opening scene, the music's playing and it's just white text on a black background. And then halfway through the opening credits, it stops and goes to the weird, you know, um, eerie music of the, the sort of the child's lullaby yeah. at Christmas time. And you sort of witness the murder, which yeah. starts everything off.
and then the credits come back up afterwards it's like oh wow we didn't even get through the credits and now we have potentially seen a child murder someone in front of a christmas tree and it's, it's just stylish it's walking this line it's kind of like the ferrero rocher thing of like slightly trashy slightly stylish yeah. uh, but, but but very european and they're sort of walking this line constantly which is really compelling first time you see the blood on the knife and there's something about the blood in this film it's like thick yeah i mean it, it's probably just because it's paint but it's so vi- like uh, as the title says it's a deep red a profound profondo, um, rosso. Pr- profondo rosso exactly i just w- was interested to know what you think and like how it compares to other types of slasher or you know murder mystery films that that had gone on so this was a huge influence on halloween because you know a lot of that film is is from the point of view of yeah. michael myers john carpenter's film and and they took a lot of that from this and as someone who's enjoyed a lot of horror films where do you think it sits within or how it relates to a lot of those others i noticed a lot of similarities with something like psycho actually yeah because it's like what you had talked about, the repressed, the sense of repression, mm. and that and that what you're dealing with is like a a killer who probably looks normal on the surface, mm. but has some crazy compulsion to do all this mad stuff, and 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 the reason they're killing is for no other reason than they have a compulsion to do it to try and work through some awful trauma. Mm. When I remember this film, it kind of I don't remember it like a horror movie, to be honest. Mm. It feels like a sort of lurid art movie to me. Mm. The thing that I found really creepy and compelling about this was like, this is a really authored film. Mm. That, and it feels like, oh, this is this is someone's this is some guy's mind I'm in here. This is someone's subconscious. There's some stuff that is trying to be deliberately scary, mm. like seances going wrong and all of that stuff. There's other stuff that is just weird. Mm. That are just weird choices made by a film director that would they would have made if they'd made any sort of film mm. and that just make you feel connected to some sort of festering yeah. wrongness. And I think that for me that's perfectly illustrated on the scene where you know David Hemming's character has kind of bizarrely decided to go investigate this house because it might have some link to the murder. And when he goes to look at it, like the the caretaker says, "Oh, my young daughter will take you across to see it." And as they wouldn't s- happen now, no. <laughs> but as they start to cross the road, the father calls his daughter back. Olga, come back here this minute. What is it? You little witch. I told you not to do that again. And belts her across the face. And just the look on her face is like a sort of sick smile. (laughs) What did you do? Nothing. Don't pay any attention. My father's just a little crazy. As she runs away, you see on the ground that she's put a pin through a lizard. And it's writhing on the floor. And it's like... Oh my God, like you were initially feeling this in any other film, the little girl is take, is going with the, the weird man into the haunted house. I hope she's going to be okay. And then you've seen she is just torturing animals yeah. and takes some sort of sadistic pleasure from like being beaten. Um, I hope David Hemmings is going to be all right. <laughs> Uh, 
And that's part of the fun of this as well, because it's, it's quite hokey on one level, because this film is not that interested in who the killer actually is, really. Like, it doesn't matter. In fact, it could be anyone. You suspect you suspect everyone he talks to. You even suspect him yeah. on some level, because we're talking about repression. And so when you actually find out, it's like, all right, it doesn't matter. It, it, could, it could have been anyone. But it is more interested in in creating a world in which you feel like everyone has the potential to be violent and uh, and, and murderous. And it does a great job at actually, you know, keeping up with this, uh, you know, the idea that it could be anyone by making, uh, you know, once you only see the killer's eyes, but you see the sort of the mascara. Yeah. Or the, and then every character seems to be at some point, for no reason, wearing that kind of makeup. I was totally convinced that it was, as, as I should be, as, as Dario Argento wanted me to be, that it was the woman that he was working with. With the journalist. The journalist he was working with, um, who's a brilliant actress. What a, what a yeah. strange energy she has. Good evening. Hi, everybody. Gianna Brizzi. Yes, Captain. Okay, who told you about this? I have my own sources. As it happens, the victim was rather famous around here. In fact, I was listening to one of her lectures this very afternoon. Because <laughs> you've got all these scenes, you've got all these scenes with David Hemmings going, but I didn't tell anyone I was going there. The only person I told was you. <laughs> How could anyone have found yeah. out about this? <laughs> and, and also, or he, he gets found unconscious and she's there to sort of revive him. Yeah. And, and it's like, how did you know I was going to be there? And you know to... Do we ever find out how exactly that guy's mum was able to follow David Hemmings' every movement so effectively? Was she just... She was just cleaning up the people that could tie her to a previous crime. Is that right? I don't even know. I mean, so I rewatched this again this morning and when the woman gets killed in the bath, you know, I'm just like... I don't exactly remember the link between her and anyone else already in this film. Have I, yeah. have I missed something? There's another quite interesting thing. When I was reading up on this about the idea that the murders are such huge set pieces in this film that it's like when you go and watch a Jallo film, it's, it's like going to watch a musical. You're actually watching it for these big musical numbers. So they knew that when people were going to watch a Jallo film, it's like they're just the rest of it could just be filler before there's this strange death scene of someone, you know, getting their head shoved right. on a, a jagged piece of glass or getting their head run over. Yeah. There's some absolutely incredibly so like, gruesome deaths. Jallo's musicals and porn, basically. <laughs> <laughs> that should have been the title of this podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> Don't worry about the story. <laughs> Trust me, that's not what they're here don't for. Worry, don't worry. They just want to see someone's head get cut open. What was your favourite death in this film? Oh, uh, that's what was kind of cool. Yeah. Well, I think the final death of with the exact last shot of getting a necklace caught in a lift and then getting decapitated. Yeah, that was great. I wonder, was that the first lift decapitation in cinema? Because there's been plenty. Yeah. There's been lots. So one of the things that I, I read was that they were trying to keep all the methods of murders particularly mundane. Something anyone could do. Yeah. Right. To sort of increase the terror. So 
when you see a, someone being shot with a gun, not many people can relate to what a gunshot wound will feel like. But when you see someone's head being plunged into a boiling bath and just yeah. sort of dying from the burns, every, you know, virtually anyone knows oh, what God, it's like. Oh, God, that was horrible. That was, that was my least favourite. Yeah. That was awful. Yeah. But it did make me wonder, what, how would the water come out that hot? Maybe, maybe Italian boilers are notoriously really, really um, yeah. I mean, yeah. If if I tried to run a bath for you in this house, I would I would barely be able to <laughs> scold you. Be careful, huh? What? There are ghosts in there. Ghosts. Everyone around here says there are. Get out! I feel like that was those words were running through my head as soon as he goes into that freaky house. As soon as it becomes dark there, I'm like, "What are you doing there? You have to leave immediately." Yeah, and there was a weird feeling of watching it. I was like, "Oh, am I? I'm actually scared. Like, I'm actually yeah. scared by this." And and you know, knowing that how ridiculous it is and all of that. therapist or the guy who was in the, the opening scene is on stage with the clairvoyant yeah. he is in his office and yeah. it makes no sense whatsoever but yeah. a sort of walking child's toy is about three foot high yeah. starts oddly moving towards him and then he's like smashes his face and then he gets killed the use of that toy not that specific toy but used throughout Four Flies in Grey Velvet when the killer is often seen around a a, a toy like that and there is something like that association I guess between like childhood and that that's probably pointing us towards this young kid who has witnessed this murder and there's something something wrong and it's hard to see it's a toy on screen now and a certain film mm. they're all just creepy like yeah. certain territory they're all, yeah. they're all awful they're not, they're not actual toys they just signify that you're probably going to get your head chopped off soon why did you decide to become a journalist because I like working I think that a woman's got to be independent so oh, she oh don't can... start with me about all that woman stuff it is a fundamental fact men are different from women women are weaker well, they're gentler. They're what? Weaker? Yeah. Gentler? <laughs> David Hemmings. Yeah. What do we feel about David Hemmings? So this is, this, is what I, this is what I was asking myself watching this film. He's one of those guys... I, I watched it going, why is, the, why is this guy a star? Mm. He certainly made some really great films. You'd have to say, mm. this one's one of them. Blow up, another one. The performances of his I really loved were actually the stuff he did towards the end of his career. Like, he's, like he's just so good sort of chewing the scenery in the gladiator. Yeah. I felt like there was a cultural thing of like, oh, if I was alive in the 60s, I would get why this guy was cool, but I just didn't understand it. I think he just looks a bit like he's been in the bar too long, you know, like he's yeah. a bit washed up, a bit bedraggled. I do not believe that he's like a classically trained jazz pianist or whatever. I kind of did actually I, I, I kind of thought oh yeah you're just like some jazz ball that drinks a lot and like, <laughs> and, uh, and like is always in a bar at 2am
I kind of bought that. It seemed it seemed right for this character, but for, for the actor as a star, I was slightly confused by. I, I just don't find him particularly charismatic. He's a bit more than an everyman, or and I, I, that's not to say there's anything wrong with the everyman, but he's you feel like he should have this star quality or this this yeah. attraction, but you. I couldn't really picture myself in his position. In Blow Up, what's cool about him is he's got this kind of insolence, kind of a fuck you thing, which is really cool. But then this is sort of a few years later and it's like looking at a kind of resentful geography teacher. Yeah. The car is not exactly new, you know. Just drive fast, will you? Why? I suffer a little from claustrophobia. <laughs> okay. That fountain, the filming was split between Rome and Turin. I saw that fountain, I was like, okay, there you go, that's my next holiday. Beautiful. They do combine two cities, which makes it even a bit weirder that you have these very obvious scenes from the piazza that I think is in Turin and then other shots that's very clearly visible as Rome. Presuming that most of the audience for this film would have been Italian and, like, he wasn't... He's not shooting in, like, obscure places. Right, that's that's a strange choice. And, like, (laughs) my... Italian geography is limited, but they're not near each other, are they? Like, Turin's way in the north, I think, and Rome is, like, yeah. in the so, middle, yeah. yeah. Yeah, That's just a symbol that he wasn't... In making this film, he, he's so much more concerned with creating a sort of style and a feeling and you know, a colour palette or, yeah. or that, that's going on throughout it than, than trying to join the dots, and it becomes so much more about... I want to create a feeling. I want to create this sense of dread. I want to create this situation where you feel like the background characters are almost like mannequins. Yeah. All the stuff at the bar, it really was like, it was kind of a bit like Kubrick almost, Mm. the sort of that lighting, the sort of really quite bright sort of fish tanky lighting. And um, it just seems so composed and, and artful and artificial as well. Have you seen Suspiria? No, so I've not seen... Not, this is the only... Agenda. I, I will certainly watch more having seen this. Uh, they're remaking that, right? Yeah, they're remaking that now. So that's... And, and, Has he and, got anything to do with that? I don't think he, he does. Right. But the, the, the interesting thing about it is that he's gone from... If you look at this film within his career, it's almost it's smack bang in the middle of his good period. I don't know what he's doing at the moment or if he's trying to get films made, but he's definitely not making good ones. But... When he started off as a young kid making these sort of genre, very, very genre films, and you can see that there is a, like an evolution with what he's going, and then he gets onto this, where he's sort of got one foot in these old genre classics and then moving towards like a, a feeling and a colour palette and, and doing something quite arty and different. And then his next film, which is sort of three years later, 1977, he just makes a bonkers film that is you know scenes are very loosely connected and it is all about a sensation and a style and a color palette like Mm. green is everywhere and all these different suspiria yeah right um and i would definitely recommend viewing that but if anyone who had any sort of reservation about this film about like a lack of coherence or things joining together (laughs) you will probably not enjoy suspiria (laughs) but is it sort of terrifying film itself right we decided to work together no no it seems that there are some things which you just cannot do seriously with liberated women. So, I am going on my own. Listen, have it your own way, stupid. 
I'll carry out my own investigation and we'll see who comes out on top. Hmm? The lead actress in this film, who has such a strange electric presence, she, uh, she became Dario Argento's muse and they had a... What's the word? Tempestuous is the word used for these things. A tempestuous relationship on and off for many years and together they had Asia Argento. He is, is, is quite beloved by, as I, you know, I mentioned earlier, John Carpenter, who made Halloween, said it was hugely influenced, but Dawn of the Dead, uh, the George Romero zombie film, was, was edited in Italy and released under a different title called Zombie, um, <laughs> which, which Dario Argento was behind. Um, and I think they cut loads of it out. <laughs> um, oh, God. And it was a massive success. Really? Yeah. I need to track it down because I think they put a new score on it as well. Right. It might have even had Goblin all over it. The score, I mean, that is, it is absolutely brilliant, the score yeah. for this. <laughs> How does it work so well? Because it's not particularly scary, but it's got... It just it summons that feeling of like Italy in the seventies. Yeah. They went for Pink Floyd, and then they were just like, "Why don't we just get these kids who are like in their early twenties who can just turn something out and it sound amazing yeah. for very little money?" And they well, they worked together a few times, didn't they? So they had a sort of revolving lineup, but they've done a load of really good scores to Italian movies. They did the Suspiria as well. Right. They did the soundtrack, and they just somehow make it sort of meld with the film. And then the other sort of music piece that I really like that's going throughout is the really eerie child's nursery rhyme that's sort of sung over the, the killing at the start. Yeah, sort of, it's like Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, sort of, yeah, 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 exactly. Well, that's it, all right. That's the uh, same song that I heard last night. That's right. And this little song may be very well the the leitmotif of the crimes. You see, we are starting... And then also some of the scenes in which David Hemmings is, like, playing the piano and you can sense that the killer is coming towards him. continues playing with one hand and like picks up a trophy yeah. as a weapon and, it, and it's like that thing of I don't want to let the killer know that I'm sort yeah, of getting myself prepared fantastic. but there was just another scene in which they're sort of like heaping on those like levels yeah. of tension I yeah. really enjoyed that that was, a, that was a really really clever little touch that bit The stuff in the house, like the big weird house that he goes to, I was sort of slightly l less moved by that for some reason. Maybe it's because I've just seen it so many times, but like the secret room in the house that you didn't yeah. know was there and sort of... There's a really long bit of him just sort of trying to knock down a wall and yeah. like cleaning off. It felt like a sort of Grand Designs episode. Yeah. <laughs> but for me, I really like that as he's, he's like chipping away at the wall to reveal the picture that it's obviously the child's picture. He's yeah. drawn of, you know, the murder that took place there. 
And I really like that because it's, for me, it went on longer, but it was like the passing of time to let you know why you're still there. It's getting darker now, it's getting dangerous. He's chipped off a bit, which shows the child holding the knife with the, you know, over the dead body. And then he leaves and then the final bit just sort of falls yeah. off when he's not in the room and you sort of reel, oh, there's more to this picture. The killer isn't who we think it is, yeah. even though it's not particularly concerned with who that is. I remember feeling like I, I sort of enjoyed the... Is enjoyed the right word? I was, I was like kind of pleasantly surprised about the treatment of the gay characters in this. Yeah. And thinking that Italy in the 70s, I guess, would be quite a macho place. Mm. And... And there's a, there's a few slightly hokey tropes, they're sort of stereotypes they're throwing in there. But actually... They don't really pass any judgment. There's no, there's, the David Hemmings character certainly doesn't. You sort of understand the attraction between these two guys looking after each other. And I, and I just sort of went, oh, this, that was another thing of this film, just going, oh, yeah, these, this is something... Most films at this time would not have taken the time with these characters that, that, that Dario Argento did in this. So if you were to be the programming man at the Curzon Soho, what would you put Dario Argento's deep red alongside to bring in the punters to get those bums on the seats? Ooh. Scary killers, sort of suppressed. Oh, do you know what I'd do? And this is going to disappoint everyone because it's... <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the Ed Hein double film you love. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to do a super Freudian double bill. I would stick this with The Night Porter, another another neglected Italian movie, which is shocking and confusing, but nothing like this in tone, but is very much about suppression and all of that stuff. I would go to watch that double bill, don't worry. I also was on the Freudian lines. Throughout this film, I'm always thinking that and, and a lot of these these Jallo films, they always start with the sort of the Freudian analysis of it, and like this is what happened to you in your childhood. This is the yeah. childhood trauma. This is what you became. And so, part of me was thinking Peeping Tom. Yeah, yeah, that's and good. Michael Powell. I film. want Peeping Tom. There you I go. Take it back. About a POV psycho killer. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, but then you can. Uh, <laughs> but I also feel like, and I don't think it's particularly related to, to the murder story, but Spellbound, Alfred Hitchcock. The dream sequences were done by Salvador Dali. So you have these very strange giant scissors going through as someone's trying to unpick what's happened from their past and sort of correspond the way in which they're feeling. I think it's uh, Ingrid Bergman's got amnesia, or someone does, right. definitely. But that is the film that I would put along the strange but quite wonderful Deep Red. Thank you for listening. You Should Watch This is hosted by Ed Heim and Simon Fowler, produced by David Craigie, Ed Heim and Simon Fowler. It's edited by David Craigie, who also creates the theme music. I'm Kerry Hall, and I play the voice of a much-needed woman. Be sure to rate and subscribe to You Should Watch This wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter on at WatchThisPod, or find out more on YouShouldWatchThis.com. On the next episode of You Should Watch This with Ed and Simon... This is the only serial killer movie I can think of where the male perspective does not exist. 
we are both now having watched this film having reactions and stirring up all these thoughts in us that women must just be having all the time yeah destroying the patriarchy while simultaneously masturbating (laughs) is is a a difficult ask but but good luck gents (laughs) 